Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All right, you grow up watching Star Wars, dreaming of one day getting to fly a TIE fighter or carry a lightsaber. And the next thing you know, you're on set. You're in Star Wars. That's what happened to Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. He'll tell you the story of how he went from acting in Kim's Convenience to acting in The Mandalorian, what Star Wars needs to do better in terms of Asian representation, and what emotions come when your childhood dreams come true. That's coming up. Plus, The National are one of the most critically acclaimed rock bands of the past decade. For a while there, though, their lead singer, Matt Berninger, wasn't sure if they'd ever make another album. In fact, he wasn't sure if he'd ever write another song. Matt will talk about working through depression through his band's music and all about their collaboration with Taylor Swift, which he says shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. It is the theme song to The Mandalorian, which, if you don't know, is part of the Star Wars universe. Massive hit, especially for people who grew up making lightsabers out of brooms or pretending their dog was a Wookiee or, like, gluing cinnamon buns to their ears to pretend to be Princess Leia. One of those people, I don't know about the cinnamon buns, but one of those people is Paul Sun-Hyung Lee, who is one of the most beloved actors in all of Canada, primarily because he was part of this show called Kim's Convenience, which is such a beautiful show and it became a massive hit all over the world. Um, I don't want to spoil what it means to Paul to be part of Star Wars. Like I want him to tell you and he does in this interview. I will tell you he does play Captain Carson Teva who is an X-Wing fighter pilot with the New Republic if you're a Mandalorian fan. I hope that helps. But um, what happens when a Star Wars nerd actually gets to put on a costume and enter that world? What has Star Wars not gotten right when it comes to Asian representation over the years? And what's the philosophy that Paul has throughout his entire life that he thinks has led to some great things? Today on Star Wars Day, May the 4th, here's my conversation with Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. How are you? I'm doing fantastically well. Thank you so much. May the 4th be with you. And also with you. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm living my best life. It's it's like pinch me moments every time. I feel like Cinderella at the ball, all those different things it's just um I, I'm just overwhelmed at how many how how well my life has been turning out these last few years, right? So um yeah I I'm beside myself with joy. Let's let's play something. From the soundtrack to the original film from 1977, that is the theme to Star Wars. What goes through your head? I'm five years old again, sitting in a darkened theater with my dad and my sister. I have no idea what's going on, and this this blazing music comes out stirring. I'm five. I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I can't, but it affects me, and it still affects me to this day. I've got goosebumps every time I hear that score, and I see the crawl. I couldn't read it at the time, right? So... I, and my dad wasn't going to read it to me, so I just see these words going up. Uh, and then this this epic adventure begins and begins a lifelong adventure for myself as I just sort of fall in love with this story and it weaves itself into the, the very fabric of my life. What what do you mean? Like, Tell me more about that. What, 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 why, why Star Wars? What did it do to you? I, you know, it really just sort of captured my attention. And I think it, more than anything else, it was the first or second Sort of like the first movie I ever saw was Jaws yeah. in the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Completely inappropriate, but yeah. like it, that left an indelible <laughs> mark and is my favorite movie of all time. But sometimes it's the movies we're not supposed to watch that become well, our favorites. Yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes right. your parents need a break and yeah. they don't care what's going on. They're going to take you with them. Um, and so with Star Wars, it was a it was a swashbuckling adventure series uh, with a group of characters that 
absolutely fascinated me. It was very, you know, good versus evil, very clear delineations. It was about a young farm boy who became a hero uh, who always dreamed of doing more. And, and for me, it was just like seeing the special effects, falling in love. That's when I fell in love with the sci-fi genre, spaceships, laser swords, uh, laser pistols, you know, blasters, lightsabers, droids, all the costumes, the, the Imperial uh, stormtroopers in their armor, Darth Vader in his black clad suit yeah. with sweeping. They, just such, such powerful images that just blew my mind. And from that point on, it wasn't just me. It was all my friends and all these kids that I hung out with and went to camp with. We would recreate entire scenes of the movie with groups of kids. I mean, and for people who don't know, you have a pretty extensive Star Wars collection too, right? <laughs> what do you got? Little one. Uh, what what I have? So much. I mean, my wife still shakes her head. She loves it though, sort of, kind of. She loves me. Yeah. How's that? So <laughs> she lets me keep it. But I have action figures. I have ships. I have uh, memorabilia, uh, replica props, blasters, lightsabers, costumes. I have a set of stormtrooper armor, scout trooper. Um, I've got Jedi outfits, uh, Imperial officer outfits, and these are all screen accurate because I am a member of the 501st um, Canadian Garrison, which is a cosplaying group that, that specializes in Star Wars cosplay, more specifically the Empire side. And they get together and they have a very exacting standard to gain membership. Like you, they, you have to submit your costume for approval, um, take multiple pictures from different angles, and there is a Garrison liaison officer who will look at it and judge it basically and if it passes muster then you're allowed that uniform is accepted and you're allowed to join the wow. legion. So let's let's just let's just catch up to this moment. So every here's here's what we've heard so far from you. Remember going to the movie with your family, the text scrolling, you can't quite read it but it's so powerful, so impactful. You become sort of obsessed with it. You're playing when you're a kid, you're, you're playing with your friends as mm -hmm. it follows you, you become this massive collector, cosplay you're dressing up as uh, Star Wars characters. And now you're part of the Star Wars universe. You're in The Mandalorian. How did that happen? Tell me this. I want to hear the story. Oh my God. It's crazy. It is absolutely insane. So, I mean, and this really, for me, cements the fact that the things happen in your life for a reason. Things come full circle. Back in when I was just out of theater school, back in 1995-ish, uh, I got this theater arts grant to learn about theater administration. And I was working at the Factory Theater. I was supposed to learn arts administration there. Factory Theater in Toronto. Factory Theater in Toronto. Working at the same time was a, a lovely young woman who wanted to be a filmmaker by the name of Deborah Chow. Now, Deborah Chow, for those of you who don't know, um, is a, a director and executive producer on shows in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and she was working on season one of The Mandalorian. And uh, I didn't know this. I was in Los Angeles for the first time in my life back in 2018. Uh, Kim's Convenience, we'd been invited out there for this gala event where they were celebrating Asian Americans in the media. Yeah. And while I was there, Deborah Chow jumped in front of me and said, do you remember who I am? Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, Dad, what are you? I hadn't seen her in 25 years. Yeah. And um, yeah, so she said, hey, look, I've been trying to get in touch with you because um, Dave Filoni who is the exec one of the executive producers and showrunners on The Mandalorian, he loves Kim's Convenience. His wife got him to watch it. He loves it. He wants to write something for you. And I thought, oh, my God, you're kidding me, right? You're kidding. And I reached out, and I remember, you know, sort of lightly grabbing her arm and saying, you do realize I have over 10 costumes from Star Wars screen actors. She said, no way. So I showed her all the pictures on my Instagram page. She's like, send these to me. Uh, she texted them over to Dave Filoni. And he was blown away and he said, wow, he could just show up in costume, just in costume on set, you know, just as is. Um, I got a set visit out of it. So I got to visit the Mandalorian uh, season one while they're shooting it. I saw baby Grogu uh, or Din Grogu now. Uh, I saw him before anybody else on the outside saw him. Uh, I got to meet Jon Favreau, Dave Filoni. I uh, got to see Deb work and Dave work. I got sort of to be a fly on the yeah. wall and like live out that fantasy of seeing Star Wars being made. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just like my cup runneth over. Had dinner with Dave, met him. He's a great guy. You're he wearing his t-shirt right now, yes. by the way. So proud. You're wearing a directed by Dave Filoni t-shirt. He is by far the most 
And I, I say this with the utmost respect and love. He's the most Canadian American I've ever met <laughs> because he is so grounded. Yeah. He's very kind, but he loves hockey. Yeah. Loves hockey. It, it's great to just chat with one of the higher ups of Star Wars and we're just chatting about hockey. Yeah. Which is so odd. How do you get cast, Paul? So six months later, my agent calls and says, uh, so Lucasfilm called and they asked for your availability. And I thought, what? What? <laughs> I didn't have to audition. They were offering me a part. I didn't know what the part was. She said, uh, it's the foodie pilot. They use code names for everything, yeah. right? So that the secrecy is, is, is paramount over there. And so all the character names have, have code names. And I didn't realize this because, you know, naive Canadian. It was just like, so I took it quite literally, foodie pilot, foodie yeah. pilot. Like, does he fly like a restaurant ship? Yeah, is Favreau making does chef he, again? Yeah, yeah exactly, kind of right? Thing, yeah. So I was, yes, immediately. I said, yes, I don't care what it is. Sure. We'll burn down forests. We'll kidnap people's pets. Yeah. I'm going to be on Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and we were getting more and more information. And uh, so basically, from what I hear, um, originally, for the part of Carson Teva, they wanted Kevin Bacon. They wanted Kevin Bacon, and uh, he didn't want to do it. So I was like, hey, I'll, that's fine, man. He's lost. My gain. I'll, I will take it you know, every day and twice on Sundays type thing. Um, you know, they called me. I remember them calling me, and that's so surreal when you're, you're getting a phone call from John Favreau. Yeah. And, and Dave Filoni, it's a conference, you know, they're going to be calling. And I missed the first call. Where because were you? I was eating KFC with my family. <laughs> How's that for a story, right? Like we'd ordered in and I was giving out, my phone was in my pocket. And I, anyways, so that's, that's a fun one. Um, you but, almost missed out on the Mandalorian for a big crunch. <laughs> you did. But it was great. And just hearing his explanation for it. And then, so that's my first gig in the United States. Am I under arrest? Technically, you should be. But these are trying times. I, I heard a story I wanted to ask you about. So Captain Teva is, is not just uh, a, a part of the Star Wars universe. He's an X-Wing fighter pilot, one of the most I iconic spaceships from the original Star Wars. I heard they gave you an actual helmet from the original Star Wars, the, the films that you watched as a boy, yeah, yeah. to wear in your fitting. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Well, uh, it was my first day. They flew me into Los Angeles. It was a whirlwind. Um, you know, they had to get papers, work papers for me to go in there. Right away, I was whisked straight to set for a wardrobe fitting. And they've got this tailor-made uh, orange jumpsuit that the Rebel pilots wear. And uh, I, I, I can't believe it. Like, it's built specifically for me, tailored to me. And they said, okay, well, we need to take a – now we, you've got the costume on. We need to take a picture of you in your outfit for um, continuity. And, uh, but we don't have the right, your helmet's being painted. So we've got this and they pulled out this old Rubbermaid bin and there's this, they pulled this ratty old helmet. It's all beat up. And I look at it and I look at the design and I, I know that design. I said, is that, is that what I think it is? Is that Biggs Darklighter's helmet? Hey Biggs, I told you I'd make it someday. We'll be like old times, Luke. They'll never stop us. And uh, they're like, yeah, how'd you know? And I said, because I'm a nerd. Like, yeah. what are you kidding me? It's yeah. like, it, am I going to put that on? He said, yeah, put it on. We need to take your picture. And I started to cry because it was just, I mean, so many things were happening at that moment. I was just felt so pulled in so many different directions. And to wear a piece of, of that history, I wasn't expecting to see it, let alone wear it. Yeah. You know, and I just felt, never felt more connected to when I was five years old again putting it on my head and i ha i do have a picture of it that i that i keep um because i had to i just i just needed that for my own personal records and i'm crying in that picture oh. i'm just so happy um but yeah it's just like it, it's weird how something that tactile can really really resonate so deeply yeah. in your in your in your body in your spirit and your soul uh and that's when it really kind of became real for me that's beautiful. Was was the reason? Let's go back to the Star Wars early early days. Is that why you became an actor? Is 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 that? I don't know if that's why I became an actor. I never knew I could be an actor growing up, to be honest, because yeah. there wasn't a lot of like you know examples of people who look like me. Yeah. In the industry, right? I even right? heard that like when you were a kid, when back when you were playing like as your kids, like when you were kids, you couldn't be Luke or Han. Yeah. 
because you were Asian. You were Asian. Right. And Luke and Han weren't Asian. There you go. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Little gatekeeping things. Even, or, as, like, even as little kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and kids don't know it, but that's a learned behavior. That's systemic yeah. racism in that sense. Yeah. Like, well, you can't, like, if you have the black kid and you're doing Ghostbusters, so it's like, <laughs> you, you got to be Winston. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right? And right? so there is. And that if there's element. no Asian stormtrooper, there's no, you know, if, sorry, if there's no Asian main character. Exactly. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're you could be lot. Chewbacca. Yeah, exactly. Chewie's kind of. You oh, know. So similar for acting. There was no path. No. You know? No. But. Really, Star Wars and Star Trek and Ghostbusters and back to all these movies, these shows that I grew up with, made me fall in love with the with the the, the art of storytelling. Like I just love that, and I, you know, and acting is an extension of that. Being able to perform is an extension of that. And when I realized in university, discovered that I could get training to do this. I there's a possibility for me to do this. Oh, that just the world opened up, and I dove into it like feet first and I was awful I sucked so bad because I had no experience like no training nothing but it was just so much more than I thought it was acting was a craft it was something that to be learned and to train and it wasn't just memorizing lines and pretending yeah you know it, there's so much more to it and that's what I fell in love with it was a oh. craft I, I got a question about the the um, uh, diversity around Star Wars and it, I, I'm not I, I'm not uh, listen, I'm a fan of everything I've seen um, which is everything. I think mm-hmm. I've seen it all, but I don't often know the backstories behind these things. But this is this is my understanding. So, Kelly Marie Tran's character Rose. I work behind pipes all day, doing talking with resistance heroes. It's not my forte. I'm Rose. Was kind of left behind. Oh man! In the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. They made her make. They literally made her character stay behind to do homework. Let that sink in. They made the Asian. The only Asian character, main character, stay behind to study the blueprints of these Imperial Star Destroyers. That's a travesty. Yeah. I think I, I was so, first of all, I was heartbroken for Kelly Marie Tran because, you know, the, 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 the worst of social media opened up and went after her. And they hide behind the whole, oh, we just don't like her character. It's like, no, you're just racist yeah. and misogynist. Yeah. Let's, you know, don't hide behind, oh, we don't like her character. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're going to bring up gender and you're going to bring up race. That makes you a misogynistic racist. Yeah. So I think she was treated unfairly. She got dragged through the mud um, for somebody who has so much joy for Star Wars. Because when she got cast at the beginning, I remember watching her and I was so happy. Like, because it was like, one of us made it. There's, there's a major Asian character, one of the leads in the movies. How incredible is that? And not only that, she's a massive nerd and a fan, <laughs> and she loves it, and she's so open. And for her, that spirit to get squashed and twisted where she quit all of social media, stopped talking to fans, was, I think, one of the biggest travesties in, in this franchise's history. Like, I mean, you've got death threats going against uh, Moses Ingram. For, for Obi-Wan mm-hmm. because it's a black woman who's a, who's a villain. Mm-hmm. And it's, you just kind of, you, you scratch your head because I refuse to believe that that is most of you know, the Star Wars family. That is a small, very vocal few yeah. who get the attention because they're saying such hurtful, vile things. And sadly, that's what sells in terms of media, clicks. Yeah. Let's see. And then it becomes this whole thing where everybody believes the entire fandom is, is now tarred with that. Do, do you feel any like, okay, I have a responsibility here or, or hey, if there's meaning in the fact that I'm now casting the Mandalor- Mandalorian? Um, I try, first of all, like every actor, you just do the work. Yeah. Just do excellent work. Yeah. But I am cognizant. And, you know, Kim's Convenience was great for that in terms of helping me see the perspective of how you behave, not only on set, but off set, how you conduct yourself um, with fans, your, your life. It, is, it, it matters. And I carry that with me. And it's a great responsibility because, like it or not, I am an ambassador yeah. for communities, uh, not just the Asian Canadian community, but the Asian community, the, the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is – and this is something that I accept because you can fight against that and go, well, I don't want to be – I don't want to be a – I don't want to be a role model. I, don't, I didn't ask for this. Well, you didn't ask for it, but you got it now. And so how are you going to, what are you going to do with that? You can spend mm-hmm. all your energy fighting against that and just being yourself. Mm-hmm. The part who I want to be is that best version. When a fan comes up and they apologize profusely for saying hello to me because mm-hmm. they're disturbing me, breaks my heart. 
because I, and I always say, just say hi. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Like, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the fans. You always want to be the best version of yourself. And we don't always, we don't always succeed. I fail. I yeah. fail all the time. Yeah. But that's part of the journey is, is doing that and making those steps forward and being an example, being an example of how kindness, how being present, how really being thoughtful and empathetic matters so much, yeah. so much. And it makes a big difference, especially with the younger generation too. They need to see better examples. Well, you, got, you got a big award coming for that. In a few weeks, you will be receiving the Governor General's Performing Arts Awards for your contribution to the performing arts over the last year and for being an inspiration to a generation of Asian actors. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, it still blows my mind. It still blows my mind. The, I've I can't, never had that reaction I know, before. <laughs> I can't, I can't because it's just like for yes. me, it's, I, my automatic default is I have huge imposter syndrome. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, um, my first thing was like, oh, it must have been a really slow year <laughs> in the arts. <laughs> me? Wow. Oh, they set that bar really low. Oh, um, man. It's surreal. And that uh, goes into hand in hand with one talk about in terms of living my best life. All these things are, are, are sort of, uh, I'm being feted for all these things. And it's never in my wildest dreams as a kid growing up, as a young adult, as a young actor, um, trying to get work in the industry uh, as a young man, trying to build a family with with his partner, um, I my cup runneth over with these blessings that come, and honestly, it's I feel so blessed that it's come so late in my life. Because right, I mean, Kim's convenience. Yeah. The TV show didn't happen until I was in my forties, and so it's those things where because I know. Because I've gone through the ringer. Yeah. And I know how hard it is. Yeah. And I've seen, I've had these big hopes and have had them dashed for no other reason than that's life. And so I appreciate things a lot more now. My understanding is that, I mean, you are one of the better secret keepers, by the way, of, of the Star Wars universe. Because you were, I mean, you were working on none of, all of this stuff. Didn't tell a soul. I mean, I guess you couldn't. You couldn't tell yeah. a soul. Uh, so I don't know how much I'm going to get out of you with this question. Um, the finale to season three of The Mandalorian just aired. No plot spoilers, but at the end, it did seem to suggest a lot more from your character in season four. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right? Fingers you, crossed. You don't know anything. I have no idea. And just honestly, I don't. Uh, it hasn't even been Paul, renewed. Paul just looked into the camera, I by know. the way. <laughs> Listen, he looked into the camera and said... Like like Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, I have no idea. Um, no, I, I honestly, they haven't even renewed. They, we don't know if it's being picked up for season four. Oh, I yeah. know Favreau's gone on record saying he's written it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I, that bodes well for me, I hope. Yeah. Um, but I've been in this industry a lot. I, I mean, I don't, I, I, you hope for the best, but expect the worst. Yeah. Right. But they don't owe me anything. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of X-Wing pilots. A lot of, I think. you know, a lot of captains. Not a lot of Governor General Performing Arts <laughs> Awards winning X-Wing pilots, I tell you that much. Oh, that sounds good. I That's like that. Good. Governor General Performing Arts Award winning X-Wing pilot. I like that. Favorite line from one of the first three movies, from uh, New Hope, Empire, oh. or Return of the Jedi? <clears throat> I've got a bad feeling about this, is one of them. That's in all three movies. Really? Yeah, all three movies. I've got a bad feeling about this. And uh, it's a trap. Oh, it's a trap. It's a classic. Right. You got it. Akbar, Admiral Akbar, right? Admiral Akbar. That's right. Do you have an so. Admiral Akbar costume at the house? No, no. It's too hot and heavy. <laughs> it's just too... <laughs> That's the first time Admiral Akbar and hot and heavy have ever been used well, in the same sentence. Not really, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I got to tell you, I'm not going to Google it, though. I'm not going to Google why why Admiral Akbar and Hot and Heavy are used in the same sentence. That was Paul Sung-Hyung Lee, the actor. He plays one of the characters in the Star Wars TV series, The Mandalorian. You might also know him as Appa in Kim's Convenience. The Mandalorian just aired its season three finale. You can watch all episodes of The Mandalorian on Disney+. And you can watch Kim's Convenience on Netflix or CBC Gym. Give myself 
twisted and threads to meet you at the Alcott. Coming up on the show, Matt Berninger is the lead singer of the band The National, one of the most acclaimed rock bands of the past decade. He'll be here to tell you why he thought the band would never make another record, about going through his own depression, about collaborating with Taylor Swift, and maybe my favorite part, he talks pretty honestly about why he thinks Taylor Swift and The National are more alike than anyone thinks. What's coming up after this on Q. last thing you wanted is the first thing I do. I tell you my problems. You tell me the truth. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. We had so many songs and we had a lot of like aggressive, you know, more, more, I guess, whatever, muscular songs, but I wasn't feeling aggressive or muscular. I was, I was feeling weak and uh, passive. I wasn't started yet. I didn't even think you were listening. I wasn't ready at all to say anything about anything interesting. You're listening to Q, I'm Tom Power, and you're listening right now to the acclaimed, critically acclaimed uh, American band, The National. A lot has changed for that band over the years. For one, Aaron Dessner, one of the members of the band, has this other career as a super producer for folks like Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. we, We talk about that. But I tell you what's constant over the years for The National. It's not just like their dedicated fan base, but it's also Matt Berninger, their lead singer, and his gut wrenching lyrics. What happens when you spend your career writing in this kind of sadness and then you wake up to that same sadness yourself? Matt is really candid in this interview about some depression and anxiety he went through. So, so heads up if, if that's a sensitive topic for you. And he talks about how he, he really wasn't sure if The National would make more music or if he'd ever write another song. But The National's new album is called First Two Pages of Frankenstein. And I got the chat with Matt Berninger all about it. Here's our conversation. My, my feeling is there may have been a moment where we we weren't sure whether this record would ever come out. Yeah, well, it was it was before the record started really coming together. It was like we didn't know if we were going to ha- have any new songs, and that was all me. I was all in a in a phase where I just I didn't want to write any more songs. I didn't want to didn't want to think about uh, myself or anything, and so. I was I was in a long, almost a year long sort of writer's block phase where it was like maybe maybe this isn't isn't good for me to do it anymore. Um, but um, yeah, but it turns out not doing it was much worse for me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so yeah, making the record was was the only way to kind of get out of that out of that zone. Jeez, Matt, I'm I'm, I'm sorry to hear it. I um, I mean only as much as you want to tell me, as I know it's it's personal. But it was um, you you were you were you were you were a bit blue. You were. It was, I mean, it was, I mean, I think everything just kind of caught up with me. It was like, uh, it was, uh, it was in, in uh, 2021. That was sort of like, that was the underwater year of just like, just, and, and I think, you know, some of it was a pandemic, um, but, but most of it was just like, I had kind of just burnt myself out on, on, on projects and so many things. And, and so I kind of just put everything down for a while and, um, all everything I was working on, I just I just dropped for for a while. But um, but the longer I I avoided it all, the the worse the like the the further away I got from it, the harder it was to get back. Um, and so yeah, then then um, uh, and, and I, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't anything that actually like did the trick it was sort of time mostly you know i tried all kind of, i was i was trying you know i tried sobriety i tried lexapro none of those <laughs> things worked very well you know 
Um, there was just a but, cheer from the studio for Lexapro, by the way. We just had a couple of, we just had this happen in the studio for Lexapro. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish, I wish, uh, I, I, I wish it had more, more, uh, more effect on me. You, yeah, you, you tried, much. you tried giving up drinking and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I was like, like, I was, I was like, what is, like, what is causing this, 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 you know, so I, um, yeah, I didn't do anything for a long time and, 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 um, and but you know it but it was it didn't really help much it was and you know honestly it was just kind of reconnecting with the band and 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 getting back just like going back and and, and doing some shows and and it was the, that was the thing just just reconnection with people was was the thing that did it for me um and and you know honestly it was it was the the, the music and kind of unpacking it all with with the songs was was how I was able to sort of, you know, whatever, just come out of it. Um, it was, yeah, the music was was my medicine in a lot of ways. What does um, writer's block feel like? Well, it's not like, um, it wasn't like, it wasn't like I could not, I mean, it wasn't like I just, I, I, I didn't know what to write about or, it was more. I didn't want to write about. Right. It, it wasn't that, the, the what I have in mind, which is like someone hunched over with a quill and nothing's coming out, and you're banging on the. T- you know what I mean? That's what I have in mind with that kind of stuff. Not so much. I mean, I did. It, 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 it was more of of like it, almost like an allergy to wanting to to self reflect. I was like, you know, sort of the self loathing and the sort of you know, and I and I was in a phase of like maybe I've created this personality by writing about myself so much maybe i've i've turned myself into the to the thing i always i always sort of write about not wanting to you know i usually write about things that that are i am afraid of you know afraid of happening or or or, and that's usually pretty helpful and but but this time i was i would had that mentioned like maybe maybe you know maybe playing sorrow a hundred and something (laughs) times in a row actually i don't mean to laugh no i know maybe did actually just like brainwash me into a sorrowful place but um but that's not true. I think, I mean, honestly, it's, it's really, it's writing about all that stuff. What was the only thing that actually really kind of got me on the other side of it? But, but for a long phase, it was like, I do not want to yeah. take that journey. I don't want to unpack, you know, you know, you hear that about actors though. I mean, like I've had actors tell me that, um, that, yeah. uh, they, you know, they get ensconced in these roles, you know, so they'll play like, uh, they'll play like a depressed person on stage, you know, yeah. on Broadway for, six months and it does mess with their with their psyche you know yeah no i did i kind of i felt um i watched the master and and there there is something about joaquin phoenix his his uh just his whole body and everything his slumped shoulders and it's just i i felt, I felt that way I was like i know how that that feels that <laughs> that, 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 that 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 sweet strange creepy you know vibe. that's why you know i um, in fact, watching the master, I was like, I was like, okay, I, I had, I, I remember like kind of having to turn away from it because I'm like, oh, I don't need more of that, of that creature. I don't need, I don't want you know, I don't want to, but, um, but I got it, you know, I, I, I connected with that. So, um, yeah, but, but yeah, the idea of like, maybe I'm like, maybe this whole thing, this, 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 you know, melancholy, miserableist, you know, misanthropic, um, creature is something i invented um and and have turned into and and um that's kind of it, it did end up being well like the reason why i was like the, the frankenstein uh reference um for the record fit at the end of it i was like i was like you know it fit in a lot of ways but i was like it it, it did it did kind of feel like that like what have i created let's, let's can we just play a song off the record that i think might deal with what we're talking about there just take a listen to this yeah don't you understand your mind is not your friend again it takes you by the hand and leaves you nowhere you feel it in your nerves from the nationals brand new album first two pages of frankenstein that's the song your mind is not your friend featuring phoebe bridgers matt right underneath this i, I wrote um what we have written here 
um, you went through a pretty dark period leading up to this album. And now, like, I think we've, we've established that a little bit. You've talked to me a little bit about it. But is that the song that sort of crystallizes that feeling for you? Is that the song that got you out of it? That's the most direct sort of one addressing it, I guess, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's throughout the record. The whole record is sort of a, a, uh, a self-soothing record in some ways. Um, but it was, I think it wasn't till I was able to sort of just like put that together where I was able to sort of then move on and write about other things. And, and it was, yeah, I mean, the, the actual first two pages of Frankenstein are actually kind of boring and they're just like a letter from the narrator to his sister. But, but I was, I just grabbed that sort of randomly and was just looking at words in the, and I remember the first words that popped out from that were the words tranquilize and then these reference to oceans and then they're up in the, in the, in the, in the Arctic. And uh, so the tranquilize the oceans between the poles um, was, was, was really the, the only thing I directly pulled out of the, out of that song, I think. But um but it was like, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to, I, I wish I could do that. Like, like, and I was thinking like, I wish I could turn my mind off and just, you know, tranquilize myself. Um, and then the, the, your mind is not your friend is something that my wife had been saying to me, you know, over the course of that year, you know, it, that, that, you know, this is, this is just something, this is, this is a thing that that's, that's, that you're going through and it's not, it doesn't define you. You're not, you know, you're not always going to be like this. This is just, something you you know your 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 mind is not is is isn't something to be trusted all the time yeah. when it when it's telling you it's all going to be bad and it's never going to get any better um you just can't trust it i remember that i remember i went through a, a bit of a dark period myself and i remember so i i got through it i mean everyone's who listens to the show is going to roll their eyes cuz he's going to say oh he's talking about it again but i got through it with uh, a lot of meditation and what that taught me uh, well, meditation, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that taught me was that I remember like learning that my thoughts were thoughts and not and were not me. And right. what a, what a, what a I remember walking down the hallway from my office to the studio, Matt, and I remember yeah. not thinking. I remember going like, "Oh, I'm just walking. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not currently thinking. This is possible. Those things that pop in and say that I'm bad or that I'm or things mm-hmm. are not going to work out or I'm going to die or all you know all this other stuff." They're just they're 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 showing up. I don't have to take them so seriously. It's a profound realization. Yeah, and it's a strange thing when when part of your part of your mind is is logical um and and is is correct in telling you, you know, that that that, you know, it's like it's it's like it's like when you're nauseous, like, you know, I've keep describing it, it's like when you're like a nauseous, no matter how much you understand that that you know, food is delicious and life is delicious. You just don't want it. You just can't, you can't stomach it, you know? And, um, so, so, so yeah, when the other side is your brain is just, is, is just under underwater. It's like you, you, the logical parts doesn't work anymore for a while. And, and, um, so yeah, I was in that phase where like, I was, I was intellectually aware that like, this is, this, this will pass, but the other side you can't, you can't really uh, believe it sometimes. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you intellectually It doesn't matter, know. right. You know, it doesn't matter at all. Do, are, yeah. the, are, the, uh, are the other fellows in the band helpful in, in times like this? I know you said that like the music is what helped get you out of it, you know? Well, they've all been in that, that phase, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we've all been in that phase in and out of that phase. So, and I mean, Aaron, Aaron was in a really dark place way back, you know, and, 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 and when we made boxer and, 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 um, everybody, everybody has, uh, everybody kind of recognizes it, uh, in, in, in each other and, and in ourselves in a, in a way. Um, so, so, so yes, definitely. And, and I was getting no pressure from anyone to, to, to do it. You know, nobody, in in fact, everybody was like, if, if this thing isn't good for us or fun for, for us, uh, for any for any one of us, then we don't. We're not going to force anybody, push anybody out on the stage. We're like that, it's that's so so, you know, or in you know, it's so the band and and my family and my wife and brother and everybody, um, we're we're really 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 uh, great throughout the whole thing. And so, um, they kind of you know we're, we're always there and just we're just like just let us know you know so we'll, we'll 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 wait this out. We're like there's no rush and. So, and it mostly just took time and the, 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 the Lexapro didn't work. Like I said, it yeah. was just time. Yeah. 
Well, you, you made a really you made a really beautiful record, and now that I understand a little bit more about what you were going through at the time, it's, it's sort of it's illuminated to me um, even more. It was it was interesting to see. I mean, I f- feel funny talking about it, but it was interesting to see Taylor Swift on the record. Yeah, uh, um, I know. I mean, she's worked with your bandmate Aaron Desner on a, on a bunch of stuff together. I'm assuming that's yeah. kind of how it came came about. Yeah, well, we we we've known that she was been a, a fan for a long time, and that was that's always been you know uh, cool and flattering. We've been uh, and I've listened to her music for for a long, long time, and I met her I met her years and years ago, um, um, and uh, so. So when Aaron started working with her, I mean, it was, it felt really organic and people were like, that's such a, that's so strange. These two worlds colliding. And for us, it wasn't at all worlds colliding. It was like, it was, uh, it made total sense. And, um, so there was, that wasn't, it wasn't any surprise that folklore and evermore were, were as potent and beautiful as they are. I was like that, if I, I I even said to Aaron, I was like, when when that was started to happen, it was like that's I was like that's that's really a good idea, you know. That's it made so much sense, and and um, what what so didn't people us, understand? Like when you say that, like when people thought it was this diverging I, I, of the what? what I didn't... just think sometimes people in our you know think think that they're that that what Taylor Swift is doing in that pop world, and what we're doing in this whatever corner of of you know pretentious indie rock world, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like we're these like like all different worlds. And and um and I'm like, well, I don't know. She's like a, she's a really, really detail-oriented storyteller, yeah. conf- confessional songwriter. And I was like, that is exactly what I do too. Um, you know, we we use different b- different paints, you know, mm-hmm. in, sometimes a lot, you know, but it was like uh, it, it, it was a really, really natural fit in, in, in a funny way. Um, so, uh, I don't know if, if, if we could, you know, easily collaborate with, 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 you know, that many other giant pop stars. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if we could, we could make a record with Post Malone or anything like that. <laughs> Watch now. But he's, I, he's listening right now going like, I could do it. I could make it happen. Right yeah. Now. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> Did you collaborate yeah. lyrically? But, but, with, but with Taylor, uh, well, the, the song, um, the Alcott that, that, that she wrote and, and sang on, um, no, I had written, I had written that whole, whole, uh, my whole part of it, um, and the choruses and everything. Um, but, but everything that she sings alone, it was, she, Aaron Senator, and she really quickly, you know, sent it back and she, she had, she in the, the spaces in between when I was filling it up with all my, with, with, with me, me whining about myself, suddenly she, she added the other side of the story and the other perspective. And, and that was very much a, a song I was writing about, you know, sort of with, with my wife and we, we write together and, and, and that's how we, we kind of always have connected. And that was, that was how our relationship started is sort of just like, just on a, on a, on a, I mean, mutual attraction but mostly also the artistic collaboration and, and she is a writer and, and and being a writer uh i was like that's that's where we kind of really our souls got to know each other and so for for have you know uh, the one of the greatest songwriters of all time to come in and to to uh write from her perspective you know i mean she was writing from taylor's perspective but it was just my, when my wife heard it back she's like oh that's incredible yeah. You know, and it was just so thrilling to have 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 her jump in and 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 add that dimension to it. Which it, the song, the song wasn't written to be a duet. It wasn't like here's a duet, let's try to for Taylor. It was like here's just a song, and she turned it into the duet. It's the last thing you want. It's the first thing you do. Give me some tips to forget you. Tell me your problem. Tell you the truth. Could it be easy this one? It's the last thing you wanted. Before we go, um, given what a personal record this is to you, uh, and I, I'm um, grateful to you. Uh, I really am quite grateful to you for, for opening up about that stuff, talking to me about about that stuff. Yeah. Um, is there a song on the record? Typically, we play a song after the interview. 
Is yeah. there a song on the record that you maybe think needs a bit more love or, or a song that you think, you know, maybe it's not the single, but you'd, you'd like people to hear it? I'd love to give you a bit of carte blanche here outside yeah. of the industry side of things to, to give us something to hear. Well, the, the, the record was, we had so many, we had so many songs and we had a lot of like aggressive, you know, more, more, I guess, whatever, muscular songs, but I wasn't feeling aggressive or muscular. I was, I was feeling weak and, and, uh, and, uh, passive. I was, you know, I, I was, and so the, but the last song send for me, the very last song in the record and, and I, we per, per, I wanted it last cause I, cause everything before it is kind of dark and heavy and, and not every, but, but most of it's pretty dark and heavy, but that song I think is the first genuinely uncomplicated, unconditionally kind song I've written. And, and I was, you know, I was writing it about, about my daughter, about my, you know, friends and, 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 and family and everything like that. But I was really writing it, um, about myself and for myself and, and, and I, and, and I, I kind of, I needed a very loving song. I, and, and, uh, I needed it for me, you know? So, so the last song is, is filled with, with, with nothing, but, and I was feeling so much support and kindness and tenderness from everybody. There was never, there was no, nobody was pushing me anything. And they were just like, when, like, whenever you need us, whenever we're here for you. And, and so, it's a song like that. It's, 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 it's like, no matter what, where you are, um, what's going on, if you need to be rescued, like I'm coming, I'm choppering in, you know, from wherever I'll be there, I'll be there in 20 minutes, you know? <laughs> and so that's a thing. That's a thing that, um, like, you know, my, I, I have a teenage daughter and, and it is, I, I drop her off at school. And that was the, really one of the only things I was doing well throughout this period is like staying a good dad stay like being there for her and and that was like i, I wanted to write a song um that was was about that was mm -hmm. like how how that can being there for someone else can 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 be your your way to your own peace and your own happiness is is just just um being available to any someone else and, and putting your own side like i like during that phase i was like i would i was dying for my daughter to like text me from school saying come get me i just can't deal with it today you know because mm -hmm. that like because that's what i needed you know i needed someone i couldn't deal with it i need someone to come get me out of this and uh so i i'd say that 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 one's that one's a special song in that way we'll we'll, we'll play it matt uh, thanks so much for for your time today lovely to get a chance to talk to you thank you tom yeah no likewise believe what you get away with you find beauty in anything whenever you look down into a sewer you see a diamond ring it isn't fair you never look like you're trying as if you couldn't care any less Kicking myself to keep from crying You say you're impressed But this isn't helping At all It only makes me want to get further off This isn't helping At all This isn't helping That is The National and Send For Me. Before that, you heard my conversation with Matt Berninger, the lead singer of The National. Their new album, First Two Pages of Frankenstein, is out now. All right, before we go, I want to give you a little preview of our show tomorrow because I'm pretty excited about it. And I've like we put up the picture of who our guest was on Instagram, and I have been like, 
overwhelmed with the number of DMs I've gotten over the past little while of people being very excited that this guest is on our show. Sasha Valore is on the show tomorrow. If you don't know, Sasha is the winner of season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race. Her performance went down in Drag Race history, this really um, famous performance where she involved rose petals in her lip sync. And she's the creator and star of the one queen drag show, Smoke and Mirrors. She has a new book called The Big Reveal, an illustrated manifesto of drag. And it's part, you know, critical theory and queer history and part Sasha's own story. So I wanted to play you a clip from our interview. I asked her why Dracula means so much to her. Take a listen to this. I didn't know what Dracula was when kids at school called me Dracula. I have really pale skin, really dark hair. Turns out my family is from Romania, (laughs) a bunch of Romanian Jews who are, I don't know, maybe Dracula does actually have some anti-Semitic tropes. Right, okay, sure, 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 sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love this character, this old world figure who comes and causes chaos in the modern, in modern England from <laughs> Eastern Europe and uh, yet again dies in a poof of smoke really dramatically. So these are the characters that immediately resonate with me. And I started dressing up for Halloween as Dracula and it was, it was my first experiment with makeup getting to put a pale foundation on, bright red lips, bushy eyebrows. You see, I'm still doing this exact makeup plot. How did it feel? It felt freeing to become Dracula. It felt like the thing I had been afraid I looked like, when I fully embraced it, I, I loved myself so much more as Dracula. And a freedom to, to you, play a character. You loved yourself so much more as Dracula? Yes, I did. I, like, for this this thing that people had said to be mean to me that I looked like a vampire when I actually leaned in and embraced being looking like a vampire and realized maybe a bit of the distance between the real me and this vampire but also just how fun it is to be over the top to play with the idea of being scary knowing that I'm not really that that brought joy that's a little bit of my conversation with Sasha Velour the winner of season 9 of RuPaul's Drag Race um One of my favorite conversations of the year, I'll be honest with you. Uh, We talk about her own history with drag. We talk about drag's place in 2023, especially uh, politically. Um, She talks about how the anti-drag backlash is nothing new. It's happened a lot over history. I learned so much from talking to Sasha Valora. I hope you can listen to that tomorrow. And if if you can't tune in, you can always subscribe to our podcast, Q with Tom Power, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.